Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation, Voyager. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harris. I'm Adam Pranica. Did you Hugh Hauser your welcome there? Welcome! welcome. <laughs> <laughs> now, who is this? <laughs> I didn't intentionally, but uh, uh, retroactively, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? You're wearing the t-shirt of a different podcast? Yeah. While we're recording? You doing that at me? Unlike you, who only wears the t-shirt of your own podcast. I would never. You wouldn't take off the K-Pod shirt for the entire Max VonCon. <laughs> it was soaked with booze and sweat by the end of the three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, you know, we're in the playoffs and it's my good luck K-Pod shirt. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was shocked at how the altitude got to me there. Yeah. Really felt it. Like huffing up a hill. There's literally a hill that you go up to uh, get to the amphitheater there called Cardio Hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like a fifth of the way up it when you know why. I, uh, I've i been a member of Jim Shimoda for a long time. I feel like I've got pretty good cardiovascular health, but Lake Arrowhead really uh, knocked me off my pedestal. Yeah, no kidding. I was made to feel weak. I felt the same way, my friend. Felt the same way. Then you get down to sea level, where the air is thick. Feels a lot better. Yeah. Air thick. Yeah. Dat air. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can really feel it going in. <laughs> Star Trek podcaster seeks BBA <laughs> for fun exercise. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, give me that big, beautiful air. <laughs> How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing good, man. Um, getting excited about our maybe having an L.A. show. Oh, yeah. Getting close Yeah, to saying something of some kind about it. It may already have been announced by the time this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so close. It's crazy. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. Does this come out on, on the 4th of July? It does. So, yeah, if it all holds true, it'll be next week. Wow. Wait, so we have a date? I didn't see that. Saturday, July 16th. Oh, great. Cool. Oh, man. I'm very excited about that. I'm a big fan of that venue, and uh, I've seen so many funny shows there. It will feel cool to be on that stage. You're talking about the Virgil. The Virgil. Yeah. Yeah. Christian Schall and uh, Kurt Brownaller's regular show is there. It's one of the great places to go see comedy in LA. And we'll be there, too. They were nice enough to... Cancel their show yeah. to give us the space to do it. Very kind of them. Kurt Brownaller woke up to a severed horse head in his bed. and <laughs> That's how we got the venue. I, I did nothing of the sort. I think you might be talking about what our friend slash agent did. Yeah, we didn't explicitly endorse that course of action. He just does what it takes to get the job done. You do appreciate duty, don't you? Going to be drinking a lot at that show, as we usually do, and I'm just staring down an 8 a.m. flight the next morning. Oh, boy. Why did you do that? <laughs> I, I booked my flight before we booked the show is how that happened. Oh, man. You didn't follow the Ben Harrison rule. I didn't. I certainly didn't. Oh. Oof. I, I woke up and chose wide body, Ben. I know you never do this. I do it, though. Oh, you booked an earlier flight based on the bigness of plane? I did. Yeah. 
I would never. I know. I know. I could go out later on something smaller, but I was like, hell no, man. A350, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll change it between now and the day I go out. I think that would be wise, my friend. I'm really playing with fire. Yeah, yeah. That's no good. Yeah. Just to be clear, the Ben Harrison rule that I broke was no flights before 10. It's a great rule. It's a great rule for everyone. Yeah, except for apparently the big body planes, they leave early. (laughs) Yes, so. Kind of wake up early to get in them big body planes. See, I see those numbers. Like, I feel like I kind of know what the Boeing numbers signify. Mm Mm-hmm. I do not know what any of the Airbus numbers signify. You, I feel like you can like look at a plane and you know what you're looking at without even needing to like check the little folder in the back of the seat back that tells you how to get off of it. It's not a problem for me. You're looking at the shape of the windows. You're looking at the planus. <laughs> <laughs> the planus, huh? Yeah. You uh. You unzip the the front of the plane's jeans and see what the planus looks like? When you work in big airplane, you develop some nicknames for parts of the plane. Uh, The planus is the exhaust for the APU that comes out the back, uh, (laughs) at the very back. That's the little hole in the back, back of the empennage. Wow. Yeah. Then they come in all kinds of different shapes, Ben. You, You learn to recognize them. So that's not on Wikipedia or my big book o airplanes that somebody sent me back when we used to have a war movie podcast. But that's the term that people in the know use. Yeah, you got to turn to the chapter about airplane buttholes. <laughs> you know what? In, uh, during the Great War, Ben, mm. what they called World War II, they'd hand out cards, you know, that's, for, yeah. for airplane identity. Great War and World War II, interchangeable terms. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe I used to host a war movie podcast? That's how long ago I hosted a war movie podcast. All that knowledge just drained out of my ears. And if you can believe it, I was not the least knowledgeable host of that show. You get the cards, Ben, with the plain shapes. Yeah, right. What we need is a deck of cards that's just the uh, deco planus. Yeah. My grandfather was an aviator in the army. And one thing I inherited from him was a bunch of little wood models of ships, like cut off at the waterline. That's cool. So you can put them on a table at distance and just see based on, you know, it's it's for drilling. Like, what what are we looking at? This is a German destroyer. This is a, a Corvette or whatever. God, I know next to nothing about ships. Like, yeah. I'm I'm just totally useless. Well, you know, my childhood with those, I grew up and I can tell you what any ship is just at a glance. Wow. And you don't even have to look at its hull, do you? You put a ship in front of me? Yeah. Hurl or no hurl, I'll tell you what it is. Oh, yeah. That's a, a Maersk ocean liner. That's amazing. <laughs> Enough bullshit, Adam. Why don't we get into the episode? <laughs> You know, I, I feel like we've had better pivots into show than that. Damning with faint praise, again. <laughs> Lots to talk about today, Ben, on Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 6, The Raven. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. <laughs> An episode that starts in Leonardo da Vinci's House of Jackoff Machines. He's not there. No. No, is it worse that he's not there? 
And Janeway is just doing her business in the shadow of these machines. She came to the workshop. She put a gym sock over the door handle on the outside Mm -hmm. so that he would know not to come in. Yeah. She is actually teaching a crafting class to Seven. They've got some, some clay out. She's like talking to her about the act of creativity and spending time doing stuff that isn't work. I thought it would have been so fun if the clay object on the table had been not the bust of a of a man but that weird chalice that alexander was making when he was playing with clay on the enterprise (laughs) for some reason a big dolphin (laughs) i'm with you ben i was confused at the amount of completion that had been done to this sculpture like did Janeway already do a bunch of it and then gave the nose bridge part to Seven to finish? Or had Seven already made it? Or is that where you start when you're getting into sculpting with clay? You just start with an already close to complete bust. Yeah. And you just kind of finish it up. I wondered the same thing. And specifically because there's a line that Janeway has about, I would never show this to Master Da Vinci. Yeah, because it doesn't have an open mouth. <laughs> Well, that line just like cuts so hard if Seven made this. Right. That would have been big fun. But if she did most of the work, it's actually like kind of self-deprecating yeah. and charming. But if Seven did most of the work, it's like, yeah, you're you're really bad at this, just for the record. I think the nose could be a little stronger. <laughs> There's such a gifable ass moment here when Seven puts the clay under the bridge of the nose and then uh-huh. moves it down, and then up, and then down, and then up, not being able to decide where it should best go. And they don't cut away from it. And there's no dialogue during. I feel like yeah. she goes back and forth like four times. <laughs> it's that like, it's that characters that are in a scene eating, and you don't want to like eat a ton when you're an actor because yeah. every time you reset, you have to eat the same bites at the same moments of the scene for continuity. Yeah. So. People just like move the peas around their plate with their fork and knife. Yeah. It's that, but for art, Adam. And uh, this is a valuable lesson on arts and leisure and what role they can play in a non-Borg's life. Because they're useless to the Borgs. Yeah. I am uncertain why these things are necessary. Well, they aren't necessary, Seven. Not a lot of art and leisure takes place on a Borg's cube. They're extremely into sliding around in their socks. <laughs> And that is about all they do for fun there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they take the old records off the shelf, and then they put them right back on the shelf. This is a very plausible bit of confusion for Seven. She's like, I don't get it. I'm a workaholic. This seems dumb to me. And what Janeway does is put it in personal terms, right? She's like, look, I know this doesn't make any sense to you. Here's what it does for me. Yeah. It allows me to turn off my captain brain, think about something else completely. It makes me a better captain when I turn the captain brain back on. Right. Take a little break from the responsibilities of life. There's coffee in that fantasy. They're kind of talking about the environment and what helps cultivate creativity about this environment. And How badly did you want to see Seven's version of this? Because that's part of this conversation too, right? She's like, like, you should also design a holodeck program and invite me the way I have invited you to mine. And I so (laughs) wanted to see what that looked like. It's just a Neelix choking program. She just clones (laughs) Tuvok's one. 
perfection had already been attained. <laughs> I'm sure once you try it, you'll understand. So one of the things that they encounter while they're walking around is this model of a flying machine that Da Vinci built. Correction, a flying jack-off machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's subtle. One of the things they encounter... <laughs> And this kicks Seven into a a flashback slash fugue state. It's sort Mm -hmm. of like a waking dream, sort of an episode of The Sopranos because there's a lot of bird imagery in it. Data had a lot of these. This made me think of Data a lot and that weird I've got a phone in my body episode. And there was also a raven flying around in that one, right? There was, yeah. Yeah, they must have brought the same birdsman back because uh, oh, yeah. they get a great shot of this bird flying through a uh, trashed starship set and it's seven like fighting a couple of creepy Borgs. Hey, Ed, you still got that bird? <laughs> yeah. Who's asking? Ed's like, are you kidding me? That bird died like the next week. Birds don't live very long. <laughs> <laughs> kind of surprised you didn't know that. It's why I I don't form tight bonds with them, because they're dead very soon. Yeah, brutal. And if you ask any of my ex-wives, I think they'll tell you it's why I couldn't form any strong bonds with them. Kind of the tragedy of my life. Anyways, if you'd like to reach out to any of my ex-wives, just stay on the end of the call, and uh, a reel of their phone numbers will play. (laughs) Thank you for calling Ed's Birds. That's the recording. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of those trick messages that makes you think you're talking to the person initially. Oh, man. That's the thing. When you specialize the way Ed has, you get work. What's a saucier? It specializes in sauces. There was a kid in college that did that to me. I got like put in a group project with him, and I didn't really know him. So I exchanged cell phone numbers with him after class, and his voicemail was was one of those one of those i thought that i was talking to him but my phone was also breaking up when i first called him because i was in one of our dorms that was like you know an old manhattan building that didn't get great cell service in and so like i was so confused that i didn't catch on that it was a joke by the time i heard the beep and i left a message that was like i i don't know what's going on here and i was like mad about it by that point (laughs) that guy Went on to edit that documentary about Robert Durst. He was the editor of that documentary. What? Yeah. I got to the end of that freaking documentary and I saw his name and I was- Editor of the Jinx. Yeah. He did great. He went. He he was a little shit in college. He went on to great things. How excited are you as the <laughs> editor of that documentary when you start hearing the burps? You're like, do I need to edit the burps out? Or is that like part of his character that I'm keeping in? Like a weird eccentricity. Yeah. He was in the room when they found the burps. And then at the very end, like in the bathroom, the bathroom confession. Yeah. Imagine being the editor for that moment. You're like, because the the camera people didn't know that that was a thing that they got. The editor realizes it. The sound person might have known. Man. Yeah. Assuming the sound person was monitoring at that moment. I mean, any sound person with a shred of morality takes off the cans while your subject's in the bathroom. Yeah. Sick freak. One time I was interviewing two subjects at once, and they were both on wireless mics, and one of them got up in the middle of the interview and went (laughs) took a pee. (laughs) I had the headphones on while interviewing the other guy, so I'm listening to one of them piss while I'm trying to like keep a straight face and talk to the other one. 
Wow. <laughs> That's so interesting, Ben, because the thing that I do to kind of uh, keep myself grounded and centered, it's sort of like that trick, like imagine the audience naked if you're a stage performer. Like mm-hmm. whenever, whenever I'm interviewing anyone on camera, I just imagine the sound of piss in my ears. Yeah, yeah, sure. In the moment. Hey, speaking of Star Trek, (laughs) Seven comes out of this reverie and she doesn't know what's going on, and we go to theme. (laughs) Ben, take the wheel. (laughs) Sorry, that was such a long tension. People are going to love it. <laughs> okay, good. At the end of the credits. <laughs> of course, it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. After the theme, we're in Six Bay where Seven of Nine explains that the visions she's having are troubling her. And she's explaining this to the doctor and Janeway. And she's wearing a velour cat suit of a different color. Ben, it's. The color of the interior of a 1973 Oldsmobile Regency. <laughs> with the loose cushioned look of fine furniture. Yeah. The doctor takes great umbrage with this. He's like, I, I was very specific about the look that I, I came up with for you. All right. We know the doctor's a car guy because of that one holodeck program where he uh, took his girlfriend up to the cliffs. For some smooch, and he's actually... Yeah, to go make out at Lover's Point. Yeah, he's actually a classic car interior aficionado, right? Hmm. I guess that bug is catching. He got it from Paris, and he took it and ran with it. Not many people look good in brown. (laughs) Seven of Nine looks good in everything. And she's explaining that she's had this vision, like, a few times at this point. Something is happening to me, and I don't know what it is. Each time I see a bird. A bird? Yes, a large black bird flying toward me, shrieking. Will I keep having these flashbacks? A series of disjointed images in my mind. I was frightened. I felt fear. It doesn't make a lot of sense to her because she's, you know, she liked growing up Borg. She doesn't think of them as scary But the doctor's like, yeah, your brain is going crazy. Your hippocampus is in a state of agitation. What does that mean? I think part of it is PTSD, and part of it might be that you're just not eating good because you've been just on the charging mat the entire time. You want to know what I think, Seven? I think you're bangry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so his prescription is go eat Neelix's food. Oral consumption is inefficient. In order to lose your appetite, one must go to the mess hall. <laughs> gonna, gonna fix her right up. Your human physiology requires it. After the doc sort of fucks off, Seven of Nine tells Janeway that she doesn't like being bangry. She doesn't like these feelings. She doesn't like the visions. She doesn't like the raven and the lack of control that they inflict on her. Yeah. It's sort of like a a confessional moment here. Yeah. I thought. And the captain is really sweet about it. She's like, I really understand that. I really understand that that's so Raven. I know it seems as though we are friends, but I am keeping (laughs) the one secret of comfort to myself, which is find yourself a bathtub and then sit (laughs) in it 
until your fingers get wrinkly. You might want to try it sometime. <laughs> also, replicate yourself some broth to cleanse your palate after you eat that crap Neelix serves. Right. You'll get used to it. Have some more. You know what? It's probably better for everyone else that Seven doesn't get replicator rations, right? Oh, does she not? Does that all go to her MagSafe mat? She hasn't eaten up until now, right? Yeah. So she hasn't been a drag on the replicator system. True, but also so many people died on the ship. <laughs> right. So I mean, those aren't mouths to feed either. Yeah. It's great news for everybody. Pretty big win, I think. <laughs> yeah. Really think about it. Yeah. The captain mentions that they've been having some diplomatic discussions with this group called the Bomar, and they've been really tough to deal with. So she's got to go off and talk to those guys. And we go to a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where they are talking to two of these guys from the Bomar Sovereignty, who have come to an agreement that the Voyager will be allowed to pass through Bomar space. Against our better judgment. They're wearing weird helmets, and uh, this is great news, or it seems like great news, until they kind of go into some of the details, which are burdensome. If you could imagine a species that was equally enthusiastic about Major League Baseball umpiring and stained glass, <laughs> that is the Bomar. Yeah, yeah. That's what they look like. Yeah. They even have the little clickers in their hand to keep track of how many balls and strikes. It is a real, yes, you can come over for dinner, but these are the rules of the household kind of vibe that the Bomar mm -hmm. are putting out there. Like, yeah, you can get safe passage through our space, Yeah, but uh, there are going to be some rules, like a speed limit and no weapons. And you got to take this map, and he goes over it and shows that on the screen in the conference room and it is a comically squiggly line yeah we've designed this course so that your ship would avoid our populated systems and industrial areas deviation is not recommended oh and not only is the line so squiggly you need to stop 17 times along the way yeah for us to pull you over and inspect what goes unspoken in this scene is did we paint the table in this room this teal green it really popped oh. off the frame for me. I thought it was green. Was it green the whole time? I think it was. Man. Fuck. Man, Friends of DeSoto, right in. Was the table green? I mean, I, I guess it was green. I'm ready to wow. believe it was green the whole time. Wow. I, d I just like approaching episodes of Star Trek with fresh eyes. I do too. It's fun. Like a fucking goldfish. Speaking of green, Adam... One floor down, Neelix is cutting up a Persian cucumber to recreate Din Tai Fung's famous cucumber salad. Oh, so delicious. You do not want to skip that salad. Yeah, it's really good. Seven of Nine walks in. What an unexpected pleasure. Welcome to the mess hall. Neelix has not had this particular customer before, so he's quick to... Uh, drop everything he's doing and try to make a great first impression. Would you like me to show you around? Neelix is really sweet in this scene. He's like, look, because it's your first meal, I'm going to try to make it special. I'm going to make you this cob thing. This It looks like something rooty. Like everything yeah. he makes is something tuber or root based, right? <laughs> it truly is. But he's like, look, this is the dish of my people. It's the pod thai of Talax. Uh, something I'm very proud of. You know, my people. 
And Seven's like, oh yes, I do know of your people. Species 218. Yeah. I've had their thoughts in my head for quite a while, in fact. Their mutton chops were assimilated. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You guys make great drones. Neelix is not offended by this, which I thought was such an interesting take by him and a really good moment for his character. Yeah. The Talaxian Borgs are few and far between. It was like a long range probe that got snatched up. I mean, I I feel like he is more horrified than he's letting on. Yeah. Kind of. But as the morale officer, as the person who is there to, you know, make people feel comfortable on the ship, he kind of keeps that to himself. I thought it was a nice performance here. Do you think there was a noticeable morale change in the Borgs once the Talaxians were assimilated? (laughs) They were slightly more welcoming. I mean... Resistance is futile, but like a little less heavy handed with the futility, like a little more welcoming. Yeah, it was subtle. I mean, I think it's important to note that the Borgs assimilated the Talaxians technological and biological distinctiveness, but not their culinary distinctiveness. Right. Yeah. Leave that part out. Yeah. That's the part that they scoop out and replace with something robotic. (laughs) this is a real fish out of water moment for seven because she's being invited to like take a seat and eat this food and she doesn't even know how to you know she's not accustomed to sitting she's never tried chewing if she's never eaten and she's never sat then she's never shat either ben and you know that's coming later isn't it yeah and neelix is taking such an interest in this it's hard to imagine he won't invite himself in for that also. Yeah. Well, this is a day of firsts then, isn't it? He's one of those teachers at the school that can do any subject. (laughs) He's like a substitute teacher in humanities, right? Right, right. My very name is racist. Do you think that it's a little bit fucked up that he's inflicting his food on somebody that has no point of comparison? Like, this is what food is. (laughs) Kind of, but like what other choice does he have? He could replicate her a cheeseburger. Were you kind of waiting for her to go full wharf and like devour a food that everyone <laughs> thinks is disgusting? I was hungry. Yeah. I, I wonder if TV executives in this era were like, you can't show a woman who is an object of lust scarfing food like that. Yeah. Yeah, probably. She has to do it in a delicate way. Yeah. Because that would have been the move in this scene. Like, oh, this fucking rules. What? Well, in that same way, like, she's being taught how to eat, like, as if she was a toddler. Right into your mouth. She's like a little scout ship flying into a shuttle bay. But she does not also do the commensurate toddler eating thing of spilling all over herself. Yeah. Right. For the same reason. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I spilled these mashed potatoes all over my chest. Oopsie. Yeah. She has another one of her scary, scary flashbacks in this moment. And we see a little like lump move down her arm onto the hand that's holding the fork. And then a first contact style star-shaped Borg implant emerges onto her skin. Ouch. And Neelix is like, (laughs) (laughs) and then he gets shoved over into the pool of vomit. 
that he made. <laughs> He's like, oh God, it's so gross. It's all Ew. over the back of my head and my hair. <laughs> Never has the back of my head looked worse. Okay, well, one time, but that was really extreme. And why is the mess hall carpeted? I ask you again. <laughs> it doesn't seem like an emergency that rises to the level of an alert threshold. I mean, I feel like Neelix has served someone a dish they weren't happy with that necessitated a shove over before. Yeah, this happens on the weekly. So <laughs> people are not super surprised about it. Yeah. That's actually one of the theme nights in the restaurant, soup or surprised. <laughs> I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. We cut to the exterior to indicate a bit of a passage of time and back to the conference room where an alternate route through Bomar space is being proposed. It's a much less squiggly line. Right. And it'll save them a ton of time. Like they, the whole reason they want to go through Bomar space is to save themselves time. And this line, I feel like, is a good compromise on the like sensitive stuff the Bomar don't want them flying through. So they're like, hey, like, what about this? This seems pretty good, right? Are your translators malfunctioning? Not good is the answer. This is a species whose part of the galaxy is like incognito mode. Yeah, they don't want anybody knowing like what stuff is. They don't want them scanning stuff. They don't want them, you know, seeing what resources abound. You know, speaking of keeping something from the people that you are uh, negotiating with, Red Alert doesn't happen in this conference room in a very strange way. Right. Because when Janeway is called onto the bridge, it is very Red Alert on the bridge. It is not yeah. Red Alert in the conference room she was just in. Conference room is chilling the fuck out. Conference room is permanently like do not disturb mode, huh? Yeah. I like it. Tuvok is not VIP either. It's too bad that the Bomar are allowed out onto the bridge because yeah. Tuvok is explaining that Seven of Nine is on a rampage on the lower decks. And one of the Bomar guys is like, Seven of Nine, what does that mean? What are, what are we talking about here? And she's like, well, uh, she's an XB. And he's like, XB? Never heard of it. I can't believe you brought a Borg into our space. You're a fucking psycho. Well, at least she didn't go to the mess hall. I was there earlier, and uh, it really upset me deeply. <laughs> Culinary is not one of your species' gifts, is it? <laughs> I love how into it Chicote is about chasing her down. Yeah. He's like, I got this one, Cap. Yeah, so we see Seven of Nine in the hallway, and she is like hallucinating that two Borg drones are coming for her, but they're actually gold shirt security people who are shooting at her and she's got her shields are back like like stuff is coming back online yeah yeah it's scary she's like walking through force fields like they're not even there she seems to have gotten really powerful really fast which begs the question ben what was in that chadra cob yeah <laughs> it must have really been uh amping her endorphins up yeah I think is what we came to, to learn in Star Trek Colin Picard. We don't whip over to Neelix and the guilt he must feel over this. <laughs> because like Seven was Bruce Banner and now she's the Hulk. Yeah. And it's all Neelix's fault. 
That's our secret. She's always eating Chadra Cobb. <laughs> she goes into the weapons locker and comes out with a huge rifle. You know your weapons, buddy. And is now walking through the ship heading to deck 10, which is, I guess, where the shuttle bay is. So Tuvok and a Dustbuster team assemble outside the turbo shaft. And when she comes out, they try and shoot her, but the rotating modulation on the phasers fails to work. She shoots the other two. Tuvok manages to duck out of the way. She keeps going. It's it's no good. This is just not good stuff. She is totally unstoppable right now. Yeah. On her way to the shuttle bay. She's like the Terminator going through that police station. Yeah. This time the force field stops her. I have no idea why that's the case. Because Harry rerouted all available power to deck 10. There's just more power. Well, I also believe that it's because we can't see the inside of the shuttle bay. We need to go from outside into the <laughs> interior of a shuttle. There was yeah. a production reason for this. Yeah. She beams herself into a shuttle and then we see the like exterior door of the Voyager shuttle bay getting blown away by this bunk bed shuttle. I love this moment. She flies away. Yeah. God, and like straight into Bomar space. They're going to be so pissed about this. Yeah, these guys are such fucking rule followers. And like, sure enough, Janeway's talking to one of these Bomar guys and he's like just going through the laundry list of ways she's violated their trust. Let's tally the events, shall we? She's like falling all over herself to to try and explain. This is like a member of our crew who is unwell. I think you are made to feel embarrassed and awkward in this scene for Janeway because the Bomar are right. Yeah, absolutely. Janeway is totally humiliated here. Yeah. And when they're saying like, maybe you're not a competent captain and maybe we can't trust you. There's no evidence to the contrary of that. Yeah, she has nothing to to lean on. Yeah. Look, they just call him how they see him, the Bomar. They're just calling balls and strikes. Wow. Boy, that's just a straight shooter with upper management written all over him. So they explain that one of the things that's great about their particular region of space is that they have a border sensor grid that can track everything that enters their space. So they know exactly where she is. They're like, we're taking care of this. The board will be found and destroyed. She is fucked. And uh, you better just leave now. You better leave us to this. Pretty awkward end to their meeting. I mean... Janeway basically kicks the Bomar out and sends them back to their ships. Commander, escort our guests to the transporter room. <laughs> Sounds great. When we come back from commercial, they're in the semi-Borgified cargo bay with just every extra this show has to <laughs> offer, looking for anything they can find that might indicate where Seven has gone and what happened to her. What, what does all this mean? I really think that this establishing shot in this scene does a really good job of showing the scope of the situation in there. Like, I think it's hard when the shuttle bay was built into the alcove, it was kind of hard to grasp just how much alcove there was in the shuttle bay. But when you have a bunch of people crawling around it, I think you get a better sense of its size in an effective yeah. way. Like, I also was amused by how many people were there doing the work, but I think it was the right amount of people given the emergency. I totally agree. So BLT is scanning the alcove and she reaches back into it and she finds a book with a little lock on the edge. Uh -huh. And it says, Seven's Diary, Do Not Read. Oh, no. Yeah. Kim was like, I'll take that. 
I think I know what to do with it. Just let me have it first. I think I could translate them. Get on it. So yeah, the captain gives that job to him and uh, Chakotay comes to report that the Bomar have really ramped up their security situation in the wake of a Borg's flying a shuttle into their space. There's not much they can do about the, you know, chasing her in because there's tons of ships watching them now and uh, it's just going to be a big problem. So much for diplomacy. Yeah. But they're walking up to the bridge and Chakotay is like, yeah, it seems like, ma- like we tried to make her human and she just... <laughs> She's, you know, scorpion on the back of a frog. What are you going to do? Tiger don't change her stripes. And the captain is like, I think that there's something else going on here. Like these flashbacks and the like, you know, like we're nowhere near any Borgs. Like this isn't her reacting to an external Borg signal. If we didn't have many episodes of Janeway riding for seven and really in the cold open as well, like showing their relationship. Mm hmm. I would think this is bad captaining because she really holds fast to this opinion without much evidence that yeah. this can be a solvable problem, that she can be rescued and whatever is switched on can be switched off. This is a Brian Fuller story and the episode is directed by LeVar Burton. And I think that there is a real magic trick in this episode, making us see Captain Janeway as seeming incompetent to the Bomar and also seeming like she is not losing her shit from our perspective. Yeah. And and this scene is like a crucial piece of that too. Like that she has a suspicion that there's more going on here than meets the eye. We're missing a piece of the puzzle. I really like LeVar Burton's direction generally, but specifically there was such a strange cut here in this turbo lift scene. Did you get it? Is this where they cut up to the bridge? No. Janeway and Chakotay approach the door to the turbo lift and then they go inside and then they cut to the interior, but it's such a similar angle to the exterior Mm -hmm. of the turbo lift that it was really jarring. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it didn't leap out to me, but, uh, you know, weird shit happens. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and... They send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. 
And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So they go to Six Bay and they uh, are talking to the doctor about how the Borg stuff that he pulled out of her is like regrowing itself. Yeah. What have you found, Doctor? Something most peculiar. I wondered if eating was the problem. Like, did giving her food turn all the Borg stuff back on? I couldn't help but think this too. Like, that's the variable of the whole thing. No one refers to it. It's the one thing that's changed and nobody talks about it. Yeah. But the doctor does have an anecdote. God damn it. He doesn't have an anecdote. He has an antidote. (laughs) He gives them a hypo spray and he's like, well, anyways, if you find her, hit her with this. His his antidote anecdote is like, you know, the first person who invented the hypo spray. (laughs) His name was Don Spray. (laughs) Can you believe that? What are the chances? Yeah. Anyway, that's why it's spelled with a lowercase h and an uppercase s. <laughs> They're like, huh. And then they leave. <laughs> if the doc had been like super hopped up on caffeine, would mm. you call this scene a hyper hypo spray antidote anecdote? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you probably would. Makes sense. Okay. Up on the bridge, Tuvok and Paris have come up with a strategy to recommend for chasing the Jake shuttle, which is we can't get Voyager through their detection grid, but we can get a shuttle through the detection grid. So 
what we think we should do is send a little mission and see if we can get her back, hit her with the gene resequencer that the doctor gave, try and reason with her, all of that stuff. I always love Tuvok and Paris being paired up on things. I do. And this is like a natural pairing here with the pilot and the security guy. Yeah. And they're given one last order by the captain before she sends them on this mission, which is basically like, if you're going to have to do it, if she cannot be persuaded to stand down from whatever Borg bullshit she's on, you've got my authorization to do what it takes to take her off the map. If you must kill her, just remember to bring back the velour bodysuit. Reach to the touch. <laughs> we invested a lot of material in it. <laughs> so we cut to Seven's shuttlecraft, and she's flying. She's having flashbacks to creepy Borgs reaching for her. I mean, it's amazing that she's able to do piloting, given how often she's flashing back at this point. Yeah, and that was part of my expectation here is like, what is real and what isn't? Like, we're seeing her visions, but we're also seeing the fleet of Bomar ships. Yeah. I guess that's real. Like, I wish they played with the confusion of that a little more. I do too. I mean, it's, it seems like it's really compromising her at the beginning of the episode. And by the end of the episode, it's just kind of like happening whenever it's convenient, when she has a little downtime, she has a flashback, you know? Right. And that's just not how, like, psychological crises work. I love the idea of a space roadblock and seeing Seven just drive her shuttle right through it, <laughs> laying waste to those ships. Yeah, those guys uh, don't stand a chance. And it seems like her shuttle may have augmented Borgified shields, too, because when yeah. they're shooting at her, it's got kind of a green hue to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she like dogfights through there and the phaser fire is enough to show up on Paris and Tuvok's sensors. So it's not long before they have tucked in right behind her and are, uh, you know, I don't think she can tell that they're there, but they're, they're sneaking behind and Tuvok proposes beaming aboard using the elephant element of surprise, using the elephant of surprise too. <laughs> Hit her with the anecdote. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> if for some reason you started the episode here, <laughs> I'd like to strongly encourage you to start from the beginning. <laughs> That's what, what people do with podcasts. They kind of start them wherever. I love how Paris is like, Tuvok, you fool. This is a bad plan. Yeah. What makes you think you can be the elephant in the room back there? Am I making any sense here? And Paris is proven exactly right because for some reason, Seven is waiting in the back of the shuttle for Tuvok to beam in and his back is turned. Surprise, motherfucker. She's right behind him as he beams in and then she Vulcan neck pinches him. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. That's got to be the, the biggest disgrace for any Vulcan, right? is to get Oof. neck pinched by a non-Vulcan. Yeah. He's never going to be able to show his Vulcan face on the home world yeah. after this. No way. Adam, nerds have been debating it for years. They want to know, who would win in a fight? A bunk bed class shuttle or a brat class shuttle? Just tell them it saves you money, buster. I mean, taking budget off the table, <laughs> I think I know what my pick is. Yeah. It's not a perfect execution because the bunk bed does have augmented Borg 
shields, but yeah. it, she takes the propulsion system offline on the Brant class shuttle. It sucks to see Paris outpiloted too, right? Tuvok is out neck pinched and Paris is outpiloted. Yeah, she's way better than both of them. Yeah. And she's just kind of taking her leisure now. She's flying the shuttle and Tuvok comes to and finds that he has been brigged in the back half of the shuttle. He starts to kind of talk to Seven of Nine, making overtures for her to stop the madness and consider maybe like not continuing to try to be a Borg. And she is pretty convinced that that's just her destiny at this point. She doesn't think that the becoming human again thing is really going to work for her. So she's following some kind of signal that is uh, on a Borg ship that will get her back in with the collective, which is where she belongs. What do you make of the choice of this being a red herring? Like that there is no Borg signal, that it's something else entirely. Like there's something interesting about maybe Seven truly picking up a signal and heading for someplace Borgish. Yeah. That it doesn't go there makes for a different and satisfying ending, I think. Like, they wanted to tell a very specific story having to do with the Raven. But, like, I think a lot of the power is sucked out of this moment because Tuvok knows the entire time that there is no Borg signal. There are no Borgs around. Where you're going is someplace that I can't predict. And there's almost a safety connoted in that. A safety for Tuvok to take risks or work harder to convince her or volunteer to beam down to the planet surface later, knowing what he knows to not be true. Yeah. I was considering the possibility that Tuvok is wrong in this moment also. And that seemed just as likely as any other thing, you know? Yeah. He so rarely is though. The Borg have outfoxed the Federation plenty of times. Right. Yeah. But yeah, the conversation is very interesting. And she's like really trying to step to him with the flex of a Borg. Like you're going to be assimilated. You're all fucked once I get back with the collective. And then she kind of takes a step back off of that. It's I feel like this scene is not about amplifying your fear about what is going to happen as much as it is about a character study about what Seven is going through in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It's very selective slash intentional about where your attention is. Yeah. So back on the ship, the captain... <laughs> I know that this wasn't supposed to be funny, but the fact that the captain is like standing in Seven's alcove, like yeah. almost just trying to get her perspective. Yeah. <laughs> now, if I'm Seven and I'm standing here a whole bunch... What would make me... <laughs> I want to steal a shuttle. But I'm still no closer to understanding what's happened. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Kim is the one who sells it. Kim doesn't find this ridiculous when he rolls up. Yeah, he's a little bit intimidated by it almost. He steals the absurdity from the scene by bringing his own absurdity to it with the reading of Seven's diaries. Right. He's redacted all the parts about him looking a little bit foolish, trying to kick it to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, yeah, like, there's not much in here that's embarrassing for me personally. There's like a couple of things about observations about the crew. And she says, my behavior is easy to predict. But that's as far as she goes into things about me. I have a very punchable face. I was very easy to (laughs) neutralize and then shove into another security person. (laughs) 
Don't take it personally. The descriptions of the dream has become the topic of the conversation, and specifically the bird right. in the dream, which is a, a non-specific bird at this point. But the captain is like, oh, maybe this is a raven. And that means a ton to the captain and didn't mean a ton to me yet. Yeah, me neither. But it really sends Janeway on a mission from here on out. Yeah. She heads on up to the bridge and she orders a scan of Bomar space, but excluding the two shuttlecraft they know to be out there. Right. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. What's in Bomar space? What's going on in there? We're about to find out kind of through Seven of Nine's shuttle, which yeah. has arrived at a moon there. Yeah, and there's a the signal that she's been following is coming from that moon. The Borg are waiting for me there. Tuvok persuades her to let him tag along on her beam down to see what's up. And, you know, I mean, he's like no threat to her. So, like, who cares, right? Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, we, we catch back up with Paris, who has gotten his shuttle moving again, but he doesn't have warp power. And he's kind of relaying information back to Voyager about what transpired when they set upon Seven shuttle and is explaining that they're on this moon. There's a signal coming from that moon. I kind of wonder if they were trying to make time with this scene. I feel like on paper, Paris being the intermediary here doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, yeah. why is the Voyager so fucking slow on the scene? Why do, why doesn't the Voyager have better sensors or scanners than Paris's brat? Why is the brat doing all the work? There does seem to be a big decision to like violate the Bomar sovereignty border mm -hmm. and... It seems like a bigger deal with Voyager than with the shuttle. But at this point, they're like, yeah, we're coming to you, man. But I agree with you that it, it seems a little bit like it's more a scene about just like people will wonder what's going on with Paris at this point. Right. Than, than it is about like advancing story that we actually care about. Yeah. We end up on the planet with Tuvok and Seven and they're scanning for the signal. And they finally see its source, a crashed ship. Yeah. And it's an old Federation ship. I sure couldn't tell it was a Federation ship, could you? Just looked like a pile of boxes out there. Yeah, didn't look good. It was it was real beat up. I think that they shot this like Star Trek KV mm -hmm. stuff outdoors because it, it is not studio lighting on them. It's, it yeah. looks like sunlight on them. It looks cool. It looks great. And then uh, they're inside the ship. And it has more Borg cube vibes, I feel like, than Federation ship vibes because it's so fucked up from its crash. But it's also, I think, the set that they're using in all of the flashback scenes right. when Seven has those moments. So maybe that's what's going on. It was very familiar. They find the like controls of this ship, and that's what's making the, the signal that drew Seven in. It's not a Borg signal at all. She's not joining the Collective again. This is not what you think it is, Seven. She has another vision, and this time we get a lot more detail than we've ever gotten before. It's her parents being dragged off by these yeah. Borgs, and they're screaming at her to run and hide. And Seven, as an adult, reenacts this scene and, and runs and hides underneath a busted piece of, of table. And yeah. like Tuvok is put in the position of having to soothe her. Yeah, he's like, Seven, come with me to the chill-out tent. Yeah. 
The big reveal happens here, wiping the dust away from the ship's plaque, a plaque that says, The Raven. Yeah. That's not what the ship is called. That's the name of Seven's snow sled from when she was a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought it would have been great because like bangers start to drop and they need to get the fuck out and they do. Yeah. But when they get to the exterior, you see some of the like Federation markings Yeah. and the name of the ship on it. I would have loved it if it were USS The Raven. <laughs> drop the the, just Facebook. Yeah. Up in space, the Voyager is just so much bigger than these... Bomar sovereignty ships that are hailing torpedo fire down on the planet's surface. And so they're like, all right, we don't really want to fuck with these guys. They seem like idiots, but I guess we'll just kind of like take out their weapon systems. I do actually really like an aerial bombardment. (laughs) It's the only way to be sure. Fucking A. This does make a lot of sense and we should see this more often, says Janeway. Yeah. They're working on that, but meanwhile, Tuvok and Seven are, like, running back and forth, trying to escape the ship, like, running into a room that they think might be the escape hatch, and that it isn't, and then they have to, like... It's just a ship that is almost entirely made up of collapsed girders at this point. Did you feel like the girder that fell after Tuvok passed it was rigged to fall in the way that it did, or was that just a very lucky moment? I almost, like... I wanted to like slow it down and see if I could see yeah. a prop PA's hand let it go. Yeah. <laughs> something. I love that moment. It's so close to him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the Voyagers disabled a couple of the ships, but there's a third one and the Bomar are really rattling their sabers and accusing the captain of having committed an act of war. It's a real like, you know, getting out just in time moment for Seven and Tuvok because... They make a hurl. They get out of the ship. We see the uh, USS Raven just kind of fall apart like a block tower. <laughs> Go off this cliff. I really like the effects work here. This looked plausibly good. How the pieces of the ship just kind of slid off the cliff. It did, but it kind of doesn't speak super well of the skills of the shipwrights at Utopia Planitia. Like, really? It just kind of like sections of it come away? Yeah. Fuck, man. Get better bolts. I mean, this foreshadows a construction technique that we'd see many centuries in the future on Star Trek Discovery, right? Mm. Where you take out the little sections of the base and they fly away. Yeah, no kidding. It becomes Federation dogma at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Here come the Bomar Cavalry. (laughs) There's like, I don't know, 60 ships on the way. Yeah. So we got to get the fuck out of here. Warp 8, not Warp 9. There's nothing salvageable on the Raven, so they just leave it down there. They're getting out of here. The captain turns to Chakotay and is like, Looks like there won't be any shortcuts this time. And Chakotay's react here, it contains all of like every crew member who is going to come to him and be like, so we didn't get the shortcut because the Borgs that we picked up... (laughs) who doesn't want to go back to Earth and doesn't even want to be a part of the crew, Yeah, took a shuttle and we had to go get her. And that like blew our entire chance at getting three months off of our fucking 75-year journey home. Yeah. Yeah? That's what, that's what happened? That was Chakotay's I didn't even want a cat face. <laughs> <laughs> 
I <laughs> spoiler alert, Robert Beltran is my drunk Wow. For that face. <laughs> I feel like when he's made to be Shimoda, it's often for a face choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just absolutely fucking wrecked me in that moment. The button on the episode, though, is a bookend button. It's back in Maestro Leonardo's workshop where Seven is looking at the flying masturbation machine and not having a PTSD flashback this time. Interesting that the flying masturbation machine has so many talents. (laughs) It suggests Leonardo da Vinci was... Also interested in pain-based pleasure. (laughs) Is that appealing to you? (laughs) um, They have a very interesting conversation here. This is one of my favorite scenes in the episode. Seven talking about the, if I hadn't been assimilated, what would my life have been like? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that is such a, I think everybody can relate to that after a certain age. Like if I hadn't gone to film school, what my life would have been like if I hadn't chanced upon meeting Adam Pranica, what would my life have been like? I think a lot of people think about that one. Yeah. A lot of people wish the travesty of that had not happened, you know. Just sucked into my gravity well. (laughs) Having my biological and technological distinctiveness added to your own. It's really true. What I like about this scene is that it doesn't end with that neat, hey, you know, we got a entire ship's computer full of stories about your parents. Why don't you go read a couple of chapters on that? And Seven's like, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. I like that she turns down that offer. Yeah. A very compelling and slightly ambiguous end to a really interesting episode, Adam. Did you like this episode? I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. Is that understood? I did, but only this is one of those episodes that I liked, but I wished more for specifically in the, I mean, clearly what happened to seven as a child was horrible. And it is the reason she goes off on her mission here. Right. Is it fucked up for me to say that I wish what we saw was more horrible? Like I kind of, as bad as we see is seven hiding and her parents screaming and your imagination is made to connect the dots. Right. But I wanted to see her parents as Borg. You wanted to see the drill going into the eyeball. Like I wanted that to be the apex of horror was like, even if it were a event horizon style flashes of Mm -hmm. footage, like, I wanted that to be the absolute peak of how she was feeling. And it felt like there was a little bit something missing from this episode for it. Well, I think you can kind of only get away with one Event Horizon ref per episode. And when they get on board, the Raven and yeah. Tuvok says this is place a is a tomb. Yeah. It's, I don't you know. I get it. They burn it. Yeah, that's fair. I liked seeing Seven's backstory. I liked seeing exactly how she was taken I think that is necessary information to understand her and yeah. her attempts to become more human because you want to you want to see what her uh, destination is, right? Yeah. Like, what does your humanity represent? Well, you need to see an example of that, and here it is. I, I agree. I th- 
This episode feels like it is maybe suffering from some of the same stuff that Esri episode suffered from in Deep Space Nine, which is like, we've introduced the new character and now we have to do a ton of character development to like catch her up to everybody else on the show. Yeah, to bring her to the level. And I think that this episode would have done well to appear 10 episodes from now, like well Mm -hmm. past the Scorpion arc because it feels like it is part and parcel of the Scorpion arc. Like how can we trust the Mm -hmm. XB in our midst? And I don't really know that you can if as recently she's been XB'd and she's suddenly got implants appearing on her fucking hand, you know? Like, how can you ever trust Seven after this? Yeah, and the, these episodes where she goes rogue are in such close proximity with each other. It's gonna. I feel like it's going to take several seasons for me to ever trust that she's not going to go rogue again. Is that yeah. what they're trying to do, though, is to just set up that tension forever? I don't think so. Like, I think that the stuff with the doctor and the, like, hypo spray and everything is meant to make you feel like, okay, we've solved the Borg's problem for now. And like, I, <laughs> it doesn't feel solved to me. Yeah, it really doesn't. You know? So I don't know. That, like, I think it's an episode that does a great job of exploring the themes that it explores. And I think it has a very fun story arc. And I think the directing is really interesting and good. But I think that maybe it's kind of wrong episode for the wrong moment in the season. Mm, yeah, it's a track order issue, as we've called it before. Right. Yeah. So hmm. I think that's my take on it. It's a good take, Ben. It's a strong take. Do you have uh, any take on whether or not we should explore what's in the Priority One inbox today? I mean, I'm being called there as if by a signal. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message, it will surprise no one to learn, is from Zach Brager. And it's to anybody. It was like this. If you've reached Season 4, Episode 6 of Voyager, I pray that a great deal of pleasure becomes an add-on to the there's coffee in that drop. I can only imagine Adam and Ben and the endless jokes they could have for there's a great deal of pleasure in that blank. Imagination can provide a great deal of pleasure. Man, that flew right by me. But, you know, I I feel like the process of making a drop, like it usually doesn't happen watching or recording the episode. That kind of happens in post. So Sure does. Yeah. I mean, listen, Zach Breaker, you've bought a lot of Priority One messages. I'm not saying it's a no, but I'm also saying, like, you know, we make the show. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I I just don't like I don't want to get into the business of just like doing drops for cash, you know? Yeah. That just makes me feel dirty to think about. <laughs> We're just meeting people in parking lots, playing mm-hmm. our drops for people, putting our drops on the glass. Yeah. Uh that dirty dirty cash business. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying it's a no. If it seems funny in the edit, I'm all for it. Not that desperate yet, Zach Brager. (laughs) Not ruling it out completely, though. Yeah, sure. Then our second priority one message is from Zach. Yeah, that's right. It's me again, Brager. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's to me and you. The message goes like this. You know what? You're right. I didn't consider if the Tao Shiar was named after Yar. What then would the Co-op Malap be named after? I don't think about lots of things. Including why I sent this Spite P1. Because I've got no clue, boys. Also, while well, I've got your ears. You want some peanut butter whiskey? <laughs> what? It's pretty tasty if you ask me. Okay. <laughs> I've never had peanut butter whiskey, have you? Uh... It is kind of a sensation lately. Somebody, after a live show of ours, a few years ago now, and maybe this was Zach Brager, maybe it was somebody else, gave us a bottle of peanut butter whiskey that I went to the trouble of bringing home and has been in my home bar ever since, but I have not opened it and tasted it. But you have it on your shelf. I do. As far as I know, I still have it. There's a medium likelihood that my wife threw it away after noticing that it was just taking up space for a long time. <laughs> Boy, if she only threw things away that were taking up space for her in her life, <laughs> I'd say you're in grave danger, Ben. Yeah, fair. Zach sent us a box and it was labeled effectively, open this on today's show. Whoa. And so what I'm going to do is open Zach Brager's box. It's going to be a super long priority one message here. Because I think the two things are related. I'm, What's in the box? I'm guessing peanut butter whiskey will be inside. Okay. It's just been sitting there in a box this entire time. A box that has been wrapped in hotel <laughs> bath towels. <laughs> I love this. Hotel bath towels are probably cheaper than packing material. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the perfect crime. Holy shit. These actually say Hyatt on them. <laughs> Did Zach Brager steal these towels? <laughs> Maybe Zach Brager works for the Hyatt and was gifted them as part of their employment there. Oh, you recognize this towel. This is the shower towel that you put oh, on the floor oh. for your feet. There's the bath mat, yeah. I've got two bath mats. I don't really need an extra bath mat. Notably, we didn't have one in the chateau that we stayed in for Max FunCon. Yeah. The ultimate Max FunCon. I had to use an improvised bath mat. I respected the fact that you improvised one because I took a shower before you and I attempted to get entirely dry in the tub and that did not go great for me. Honestly, I thought one of us was going to die there. It seemed very dangerous. Yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, what I have here is a very heavy robe. Okay. And by that, I mean a terry cloth and white duct tape wrapped couple of bottles okay ordinarily i would just use an exacto knife and cut through the packaging but it's terry cloth yeah ben you have a i have a matching robe a duplicate bundle here i'm opening okay. the one labeled for me okay fair enough it's too bad we're not doing this while looking at each other during because uh because we could have both been opening these at that same time. But if this is the same stuff that I have in my home bar, I, I might uh, do a little taster sample with you. Oh, the tape, the tape has stuck to my shirt. Your shirt from a different podcast. It's ruining the shirt of a competitor. Oh, I almost dropped it. And for that, I deeply appreciate it. It's not even on our network, this other podcast. Yeah. I'm trying not to drop this package as I open it. It is very awkward. It's like gaff tape, right? 
No, it's white duct tape. Oh, wow. It's weird, weird as hell. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Okay. <laughs> um, is it a robe or is it just a big towel? It's a big towel and it's swaddling these bottles. Okay. All right, here we go. I love a good bottle swaddle. Bottle number one, Porter's imitation peanut butter flavored whiskey. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the the image on the bottle. Terrifying. Oh my goodness. That looks like a scary man. It looks like Wayne Grow. That's not the type of peanut butter whiskey that I have. Are you positive? Who could possibly have predicted that there was more than one brand of peanut butter whiskey on the market? For some reason, the second bottle is in a, a paper bag, and the reveal is a second bottle of quarters. This one, <laughs> huckleberry liqueur. This is Canadian Whoa. whiskey and natural huckleberry contains neutral spirits. This is... Dang. 66.6 proof. Wow. Are are both of these. Okay, so they're lower alcohol. Wait, is it 66%? It's 33.3% alcohol by volume, 66.6 okay. proof. Wow. Okay. All right, give us a taste. Tell us which bottle you're tasting, and then tell us what you think of it. All right, I'm going to have the peanut butter one first. And then I'm gonna wash it down with the huckleberry. <laughs> Is a huckleberry like a blackberry? I've never known. Okay, it smells like peanut butter cup. Okay, okay. Like that does—that's not a bad smell. It smells really good. Whoa. Okay. Are you gonna just take it from the bottle to the dome? There he goes, folks. Adam is drinking strange booze sent to us by Zach Brager, who has buttered us up with dozens of P1s so that Adam wouldn't suspect that this is a cyanide-laced bottle of peanut butter whiskey. It's the most dangerous game in podcasting. Wow. What what was my quote, Ben? It was printed on DeSoto wine bottles. (laughs) I can't remember it. I don't have a a bottle of Chateau DeSoto close at hand. My review of Porter's imitation peanut butter flavored whiskey is it's good. Wow. It is so good. Is it Canadian whiskey? Is it rye? Because I think the one that I have is peanut butter bourbon. I mean, the Blackberry one says Canadian whiskey, but this one doesn't say either way. It just says flavored whiskey. Hmm. Wow. God, it's so good. It is like dangerously good that I really feel like I could drink a pint glass of it. Dang. Wow. Well, thank you, Zach Brager. I can't wait to get my bottle and taste it. Here is the huckleberry, and it smells like something you'd spread on toast. Wow, yummy. A big two-bottle slug from Adam. And what he doesn't know is that neither one of these bottles by itself is poisonous. <laughs> but if you take a slug from both of them, yeah, the once contents combined. will combine in your stomach to form an epoxy that will uh, just seize your system up. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of this brand before. It is plausibly poison. But it is Ogden's own product. This is a... Uh, Out of Utah. This is a Ogden, Utah spirit. Ogdenzone.com is where you can okay. find out more about these. Wow. Thanks a lot, Zach, for uh, yeah. getting me a little buzzed toward the end of the show. Thank you for sending that in, Zach. Wow. Well, if uh, anybody would like to get us into an elaborate scheme like Zach Brager has today... 
Go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up today. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Harry Kim for me. Wow. He is, like, in terms of, like, a vibe of an entire episode, (laughs) he seems to be acting outside of it most of the time. He's outside of the tension of it almost completely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's just trying to figure out the secret of the diary. He's in the deep D story. We need to pull it out. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to figure that out. He's like a hardy boy here. Yeah, yeah. While the adults are off doing serious business. That's why he's my drunk Shimoda. What about you, Ben? It would have been nice to get a Harry Kim montage where he like is, you know, eating while reading through the code. He's, uh, He's at work, like, but like distracted by it. He's smashing a Delaney sister, but he's got the pad over her shoulder and he's still looking at it. Right, yeah. Would have been good. He's asking a Delaney sister to punch him in the face and knock him into a security person (laughs) behind him because that's the only way he can get up over the top. (laughs) Uh, It will surprise nobody to know that my drunk Shimoda is Chakotay in this episode for that face he makes at the end when... Janeway's like, well, I guess this is just the price we pay for being friends with Seven of Nine. Oh, yeah. Like from before. Yeah. Good one. Let's see if we have a good one coming up next, Adam. The next episode is season four, episode seven, Scientific Method. When the crew begins suffering from stranger illnesses with each passing hour, Seven of Nine is the only one who is able to expose the threat to the crew. Why don't you put her in charge? Because we need you and I'm sick of your bullshit. Yeah, maybe this is her big redemption of trust this next episode. I mean, this would be a logical sequence, wouldn't it? I guess so. So, Adam, we're on square 99 of the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker over at gach.biz slash game. That means there is a more hammered directly in front of us oh no but uh what we learned last time we were up in this altitude of the board was that going over the number of spaces to the end of the board just jumps us back to the beginning and so we could also potentially hit a janeway square which would fly us up to a his eyes uncovered square wow so Kind of a lot of potential outcomes here jeez i'm just looking at our schedule for recording and like a a morn hammered never happens at a convenient time. Mm, yeah, and just for the record, you still owe the folks a Coco Nono. So yeah, I'll do it at the same time, Ben. Yeah, you just don't want to get on the phone with the tech guy. Three <laughs> sheets to the wind on Thursday. Is yeah, that what you're saying? That would be fun, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think we'd probably have to reschedule that call. An important business call follows the Mornhammered episode. Yeah, l- bring it, Ben. I know it's going to happen. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Not more important than a Peloton. Nope. So. You know my hierarchy of interests. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I rolled a five, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. We've jumped clear of the Mornhammered, clear of the Janeway Delta Flyer. Square, we are on square four. Wow. Which is a regular old episode of the Game of Buttholes. I can hear the disappointment. (laughs) 
<laughs> out in the distance. We could still reschedule that phone call. Our sad, sad friends of DeSoto. You could still do your Coco no-no. You know, at any time you could fulfill your bound duty to the people. I'm going to keep my sword of Coco no-no hanging above the show. Wow. Could happen at any time. Adam was hanging sword and was therefore censured by the <laughs> board of Uxbridge Shimoda. <laughs> I wonder what sort of tiki drink I can make out of a huckleberry whiskey. Hmm. Bet that's a thing. I bet there's something out there. I keep on looking at the face of this scary man on the bottle. It sure looks like a threat, Ben. Yeah, it that looks like the kind of man that does not like being called sport. I think part of it is that the eyes are carved out on the label. Oh, fuck. So you just God see damn. inside the bottle through the eyes. See? Jesus Christ. See how fucking scary it is when they're backlit especially is that a picture of zach brager is that who's been sending us all this stuff <laughs> you know my feelings about zach brager have changed if that's true <laughs> because i now fear him yeah well we have nothing to fear about the next episode regular old episode in the meantime if you like the show and want it to continue consider supporting us at maximumfund.org slash join we're on the Maximum Fun Network, which has a ton of great podcasts that I think you would enjoy if you enjoy what we do. You might try The Greatest Discovery, which is a different Star Trek podcast, totally different in almost every way. I wasn't totally sure that you'd start with that show, Ben. Good job. <laughs> but there are lots of others. You're such a company man. Of all different topics and all different kinds of people making them. And we just really love the, the network that we're on and the folks that we get to work with to make this show let's talk about some of them windy pretty our producer who uh, edits about a third of the greatest generation keeps us on schedule keeps us on time yeah she does a great job she's better at editing it than either of us at this point it's true she totally rules and uh we really feel lucky to have her we gotta thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who runs all our social media at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Follow those. Use the hashtag GreatestGen in your uh, in your posts online. Join the Facebook group if you use Facebook, and then you'll probably join like several sub Facebook groups that are about specializing in one thing or another. You might want to join the DrunkShimoda.com Discord if you're a Discord person, or the Greatest Gen Reddit. There's so many ways to participate in this thing, man. Yeah. Too many ways. Not too, I mean, not too many ways. A, a correct amount of ways. Okay. All right. I recently saw that we were less than 500 ratings slash reviews from the 4,000 mark on iTunes. Whoa. On iTunes podcast or whatever it's called over there. <laughs> we remain the best reviewed, most reviewed Star Trek podcast over there and i would like to personally keep it that way yeah if you've got a, a warm feeling for the show and a, and five stars to give it's one of the great ways to share the show with other people it, it elevates our show into places where it can be seen by other people and gets new earballs on the show we really appreciate it if you like the music on the show that was created by adam ragusea and Adam Ragusea also has a podcast of his own, the Ragusea Podcast, and a YouTube channel where he talks about food, talks you through recipes, 
We are regular guests on the Ragusia podcast, and uh, we really appreciate all of the amazing music he's made for us over the years. I mean, we've been on the show once, Ben. It's like losing your virginity and going, I regularly have sex. We're planning repeat appearances. Are we? We've already talked about the next movie we're going to talk about. I haven't been on those messages. What are we... I have no idea when or how this is happening. We talked about Tampopo. It might happen by the time this episode comes out. Oh, all right. A ramen movie. Yeah. I haven't seen it. It's good. Mm. There's a really sexy egg scene. Just like ramen. Ramen's good. Yeah. So, check out Ragusia. Check out all that other stuff. And uh, check out Dark Material, who made the Picard song, the original theme music that you're hearing under our voices right now. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that is following a very generic Star Trek plot map where one crew member is immune from something and everybody else isn't. Love those episodes. Yeah, they're good. They're fun. Love this episode. Yeah. Okay, good. Make it so. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.